0: This is Savio. I've been seeking answers to some of life's most perplexing questions my entire life. In 2014, I was diagnosed with stage three cancer. And ever since, I realized my calling existed outside of what I knew to be familiar. This podcast is your home for survivors like myself and those who are searching to find meaning to their why. In season two, the show includes a mix of coaching sessions followed immediately by interviews with those from all walks of life who have been successful in the business, marketing, coaching, and financial worlds. The intent is to show the human experience in its rawest form so that others may glean insight. Nothing is rehearsed or has been edited. As a board-certified wellness coach, my job is to ask the deep questions of those trying to make sense of their place in this fractured world. I believe life speaks to us in different ways. Many of us listen but don't know how or where to begin. As someone who has crossed the bridge between life and death, I say simply, begin where you are now and get busy living. If you liked today's episode, I would appreciate it if you could share it and subscribe. Be sure to tag me at The Human Resolve so I can reciprocate in kind. So without further ado, welcome to The Human Resolve Podcast. Published author, writing coach, and cancer survivor, Tracy Shear, is gifted at spinning yarns for the many characters she brings into existence. But when real life comes knocking, she wrestles with the concept of doing versus receiving. Only by reexamining her true wants will things finally fall into place. Hi, Tracy. Good to see you. Hi. Nice to see you. So what would you like coaching on today?
1: Well, one of the things I found that I started struggling with over the last couple of years, especially when I started my coaching practice, as well as being an author, is sometimes I don't realize that I'm doing things because I think I should, as opposed to doing things because I really want to do them. And sometimes I don't realize until I'm already halfway down the path that I'm not doing it for the right reason. And I don't feel connected with it. And then I've wasted a lot of time and and effort. And so I was wondering if you had any sort of tools or suggestions when you're starting on something to kind of figure out what you're really resonating with and what, what you really want to do and what you think you should be doing for. It could be, well, other people are doing this. Other coaches are doing this. Or people would want me to do this. You know, those types of things. I think people struggle with that even on just life choices, what they think they should be doing to fit in or to make their family happy. And so anyway, I was just wondering if you had any tips on that.
0: Great. So what I'm hearing is sort of the sort of battle between things you should be doing and things that you want to be doing. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So what would be a fantastic outcome for today?
1: Uh, I think that what would be a fantastic outcome is if you had something that I could utilize that might help weed out some of those sheds so that I can spend more time on the things that I really want to do and not get part of the way through and go, man, why am I doing this?
0: Okay. So you want to show up more of the things that you want to do rather than the things that you should be doing. Right. Right. Okay. So what are the things that you should be doing?
1: Well, I felt that as a writing coach that I should be putting out a bunch of different offers throughout the year that I should have low price offers and then some high price offers. And then I should be making sure that I'm, I'm satisfying the fiction writers as well as the nonfiction writers and all of those types of things. And I started to go down that path of trying to figure out how to do this with a full-time job and writing professionally. And it just was not working. But I felt I should be doing it because that's what other people were doing.
0: And when you think about sort of the actual execution of the shoulds, is it feasible? Is it something that you just don't enjoy it, thinking about it?
1: You know, that's a great question. I think it's a combination of both. And I think what happens is, is that a lot of times I get excited with the initial thing of wanting to help people. I go, oh my gosh, you know, and I know people need this. I know people need that. And and I think part of it, you're absolutely right. I think it's a feasibility of, I really don't have the time to be doing all the things I think I should be doing because I've only got limited time and I've got to make the most of it with the job as well as writing. And so I think that sputters out some of those, those things that I really want to do.
0: When you think about sort of the should, does that resonate anywhere in, in your body? This idea of it
1: uh yeah i think it it for me it resonates like like right across my chest it's like it it makes me feel a little tight
0: feels a little tight would you like to explore that sure yeah okay just want you to get comfortable in your seat you can soften your gaze or close your eyes if you feel inclined to do just want you to take a couple of breaths in and out It's gonna do a quick scan of the body. So I want you to breathe into the different body parts that I mentioned. The top of the head, forehead, the ears, the nose, mouth, the neck, shoulders, the upper body. Hands, the arms, the torso, chest, the lower body, the legs, and the feet. I want you to breathe into the body a couple more times in and out. This tightness in your chest, can you, is there more context to it?
1: I think that for me, when I think about the things I should be doing, it feels constraining. And I think that might be why I have the tightness in my chest.
0: Constraining. Have you experienced this constraining before?
1: Uh, Usually when, when I've done energy work before, it's usually when it's um, something that I really don't want to do. And so sometimes it's stuff that I, ha- I should, and when I say I should be doing, but like, there are certain things that is very healthy for me to do, but I'm like scared to do them. And so sometimes there's that initial tightness and then you can work through and get it released because it is really something you want to do. You just based fear is holding you back. Uh, but for the should stuff, it feels more like, um, kind of like, a a cage, a cage. Yeah. And I think it's, it, to me, it feels more like, um, it's not stuff that it, I feel, I feel uh, hampered and not as free because it's something I should be doing as opposed to something that I want to do. If that makes sense.
0: So it's this feeling of sort of, um, Things that are things that are put on you—is that correct?
1: And, and I think part of it's probably me putting it on myself because there's nobody that's saying, Tracy, you have to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. There's nobody saying that. It's me saying, well, I think when I'm looking at this, that I should be providing all this type of things to my clients, or even on the uh, the writing side. I thought that I should put out a series of short stories uh, in order to keep people interested until book three came out. And then I started into it and I went, oh, my gosh, I don't really feel connected to this. And come to find out, nobody cares. Everybody's just like, where's book three? It's not like they needed anything, but I thought that I should do it. Uh, but but you know I did get some good writing done. so there was some good good stuff out of that. But yeah, so I think it's me putting it on myself. I don't think anybody's saying Tracy, you need to do X,Y,Z. Mm.
0: So Tracy, before you became the book author and, and your job currently, has this feeling ever sort of trickled up from um, you?
1: Well, I think that for me for a long time it trickled up with the fact of me not pursuing my writing because, uh, it wasn't going to make me any money. Um, I would have time for it later. Um, you know, a lot of people didn't understand it. Um, I wasn't sure if I was any good at it because I didn't do anything professionally with it. And I thought I should stay in the corporate ladder and move all the way up and stuff. And it wasn't until, um, I ended up getting laid off from my job because they laid off all the regional people. Um, and I found out I had cancer and then my mom died. All within uh, like few months period, and it and it totally like shredded my should. <laughs> totally
0: shredded your should. Because I was like,
1: oh my gosh, I've only got a fifty percent chance to live. What am I going to regret if I don't do? And I tell you, Savio, it was not being at the at the corporate job. It was writing.
0: If you so. Let's flip it up. If you could do the things you want to do, what are those things that you want to do?
1: Well, I think the, the tough part that I struggle with, and I and I know a lot of uh, people that are doing corporate jobs as well as their passion struggle with, is you want to do your passion all the time, and you have to balance that out. And I'm very happy for my corporate job. It allows me um, the stability and the Uh, less pressure because I know that I can pay my mortgage and all those other things while I'm exploring my passion. But I think uh, if I, if I had my druthers, I would be writing full-time and coaching full-time. That would be, and I would just be putting together all these different types of coaching programs for people, taking on more one-on-one clients to help them realize their dreams, writing a ton more books. Just there's like, there's so many things I would love to, to do, but I have to, I have to realize that I have limited time. And I think Now that we're talking about it, I think maybe some of the should pieces are, it could be things that I would like to do, but I know I don't have time for, and and that could be part of that that tightness is that now that we're talking about it, maybe it's not necessarily the should. Maybe I do want to do it, but I know I don't have time, and that it ends up being kind of that conflict that so many of us have that we're trying to juggle.
0: And how do you suppose that you? could make it so that you can manifest those things, even though you don't have that much time.
1: Yeah. You know, I think that you, one of the things that might be helpful for me to do is to write down all the things that I've thought about doing that I would like to do and just write them all down, regardless of time, just what would I want to do? What would really fulfill me? What would make me happy? Uh, and just get a, just a whole list without judgment, just all the stuff. And then maybe take a look at what are the things that I could fit in with what I'm currently doing? And what are the things that could I do them if I got somebody to help me? There's some things you can't like I'm never going to give somebody my stuff to write. Like people go, I'll do content for you on social media. I'm like, no, no, that's fine. (laughs) I'm a writer. (laughs) But there could be though people that could help me with some of the upcoming marketing and whatnot that I'll be doing for book three of my trilogy. There could be people that I could try to get on board earlier so that they can help me with some of the things so that I can be freed up um, to do more things. And I'd like to put together also... I've been thinking about putting together some coaching things that I pre-record so that it's less of my time. Like once it's done, people can access it. And so maybe trying to really look at that seriously and see who I can get to help me if I just record it to just get it done so that I'm freed up. Cause I think what happens, and, and I think you probably find this too, Savio, is that a lot of times we think we have to do it all. <laughs> we don't realize that sometimes we can get help. So I think I think uh, now that we're talking about it, I think I really need to look at at that and see what options might be out there.
0: So, what do you suppose might be the first few steps with that?
1: Um, I think probably I need to look at the timing of things because um, uh, I've got the the next book comes out Halloween twenty twenty two, and so I've got to figure out like back stepping out into like when I would need people to start doing things uh, for promotion. Um, and then the other thing I want to do um, now that we're talking about is I'm going to reach out to a few of my author friends and see if they've been using um, their specialized author assistants instead of a VA, because there's tons of VAs out there that will help you you your coach, but author assistants know things like um, your newsletters and promotion and getting um, uh, advanced reader, copy readers and those types of things. Um, so maybe start exploring that early before we get into 2022. So I've got some game plan because I think that might help me feel better too. Um, I like to. It's so funny. I'm a. I'm when I write, I'm I'm more of a pantser where I just write for the seat of my pants. But I but in everything else, I love to plan. <laughs> so I think that might help me feel better. Is if I plan some things out, like what are the things that I need help on, and maybe you know now that we're talking about it. I think what might help for me is to maybe just pick like two or three things. So it's not overwhelming and figuring out how to make maybe those happen sooner than later and figuring out what I need for those so that it's not trying to do 20 things and, and, uh, not getting there.
0: Is there a feeling or a sense of reluctance for you when you, if you step into this of,
1: of, of utilizing other people? Yeah. Um, I think that um, my biggest thing would be to make sure because I've partnered with people in the past and haven't gotten what I've thought I should get, and so uh, and then it's just money down the drain because I like the people work for free. <laughs> I like you have a buddy that goes, "I'll do this all for you." So I think um, I think I've had a couple situations where I've had to chase people down for stuff to get stuff finished. So I think there's this piece to me that really I think I need to get recommendations next time from other people so that I know that the people I think that might make me feel better and less like, oh, man, I'm going to do this again. And then I'm going to have to do it all over again because they didn't do what they were supposed to do.
0: Are there any um, friends or family members who you look up to who you feel does the things they want to do? And sort of eliminates the stuff that they think they should be doing.
1: You know, it's a great question. Um, No. I'm the, the one that's doing it as opposed to most of the people I know, most of the people I know are always, are always, um, uh, putting other things first and not really what they want to do, uh, and no fault against them. It's they're, they're just, they're in the same thing that I was into where, uh, you get those blinders on, you think you're on this path and you're not acknowledging. So it's one of the things that I've had people tell me that just by being me, I'm inspiring them even though I, they might not be writer or whatnot. And so um, I have noticed changes of people around me of pursuing more of the stuff that they want to do. So um, I never had a good role model of somebody that was just a, you know, out there doing their own thing. I think, I think it's, I think if I hadn't had the cancer hit me the way it did, I would still be not writing. So- I, I do. I think, As awful as it was, I think cancer was one of the best things that happened to me.
0: Wow. Could you speak more about that?
1: Well, I think that um, it's so easy to keep going on the same path. Um, That whole thing of like a body in motion is in motion, but if you're not, you're not. And if I hadn't been faced with death and thinking about that, I, I don't think it would have crystallized as, as easy for me. And also too, when you know that you don't have a lot of time, like we, we know we we don't have unlimited time, but as you know, you're a cancer survivor too, when you're hit with that and it's really in front of you, I think then the old excuses you made, uh, just fall away because they're really not important, uh, in the scheme of things. And so I wouldn't have taken my first writing class when I did, I mean, maybe I would have by now, who knows, but just thinking about me, probably not at the time, but I took my first writing class, um, entered my first contest, got my first agent without a query letter. There's all these things that happened uh, because I finally put that first and I took that chance. I didn't know where it was going to go, but it was so important to me to make sure I did it, even though I didn't know if I'd be alive to see my books published. But it was, it was a risk that I, it was so important for me to take because, you know, I knew that life was short. So I think that's the thing that when you have a trauma or you, you've lost somebody or you nearly escaped death or whatnot, I think people come out with such different perspectives.
0: During that time, did you have any shoulds or was there all, was everything what you wanted to do?
1: You know, that's a great question. Everything was what I wanted to do right after that. It was just like, you know, throwing that stuff out. I mean, yes, I still had a corporate job and stuff, but I was like, you know what? I am pursuing this hard. I mean, you know, I was scared to take my first writing class. And I remember that first night um, we were told to, to write something and it was like supposed to be um, like, think about a family um, memory or what we had to write it. And the teacher said, who would like to read what they just wrote? And everybody's hand was down because we were all scared. Right. And I remember sitting there and going, this is why I'm here. So I I need to do this. So I raised my hand and my heart was pounding out of my chest. I could feel like totally flushed from my chest all the way up. I was so scared. And the teacher called on me and I read my piece and she looked at me and she goes, that has such emotion to it. I really felt it. I was really there. And I was like, and that was just like, it, it made me realize that yes, I was on the right path. And so, even though I, I was like, I don't want to raise my hand. I did not You know, I did. And I think that uh, once all that happened, the shoulds really did just fall away because it was all the stuff that I was passionate about that I wanted to pursue.
0: Do you feel that any of those experiences that you can now embody? Are there anything? Is there anything in that that you feel that you could take away?
1: Well, I think that um, I, I tend to kind of capture that feeling of risk and and being vulnerable and just putting yourself out there all the time. From that, um, I, I carry that with me because I really found um, and, and it didn't happen overnight. You know, this is not like all of a sudden I was like, oh, everything. You know, it it happened over time, and and also I've done some energy work and some other things like that, and. It's amazing when you are vulnerable and you put yourself out there without expectation because I find expectation can really kind of tighten things up and hammer things in for people. If you just put yourself out there and you don't care what the outcome is, that's where I find the real magic is because people recognize it and see it and they respond to it. I had a situation with a friend um, several years back where, um, you know, we had kind of fallen out a little bit and I missed it. And I went, you know what, I don't know what they're going to say, but I'm just going to tell them I miss them. And I did. And they were, they were missed me just as much. They just hadn't said anything. And because I leaned in and they leaned in, it was amazing. And so, you know, and this is why I tell people with the writing and being vulnerable. So I think that I do, I remember that moment in class all the time. And also when I first said I was going to publish my book and all those little moments that, you know, you're so scared, but you're going to do it anyway. You don't know what's going to happen.
0: So Tracy, we're sort of at the end of 2021. What were some of your biggest wins this year? I
1: think that, um, I think one of my biggest wins was I put together my first ever mastermind uh, which was really exciting for me. I helped a group of women uh, go through some of the, the pieces to write their first memoir or personal development book. And I said to myself, I was going to do this. And I was going to have a course about writing your book. And I totally thought it was going to be fiction. <laughs> because, you know, and I had all these people going, oh my gosh, I really need help here and there. And I tell you, Savio, I realized that that it didn't matter what it was, I could help people even if I hadn't written a memoir yet or a personal development book yet, and to see these women have these incredible stories that they wanted to tell and that I could help them through. That was just, it was a huge win, regardless of anything else to know that um, they trusted me to help them. And I was walking the path with them and holding their hand so that they could shine their light because sometimes that's all we need is somebody to believe in us. You know? So I think that was, that was one of my, uh, biggest wins. And then of, of course, two clean CAT scans.
0: Amazing. So, you
1: know, that, that's always good for the cancer stuff. <laughs> that's a huge win. <laughs> and then I would say the other thing was um deciding to stop letting fear uh, stop me from switching jobs. So after about 16 and a half years, I switched to a new job just in November. Um, and I couldn't be happier. It's I don't know why I waited so long. I think it was just I was loyal and I felt that connection. I, oh, I can't leave. And then somebody said to me, Tracy, what do you want? And I went, hmm. So, so it was so great. That was a huge milestone for me to push past the fear because I don't let fear stop me in other areas, but I did it my job.
0: Yeah. So we talked a lot about sort of this feeling of things you should be doing, things you shouldn't be doing, things you want to be doing. Um, how, how are you going to take this sort of feeling now that we sort of discussed this, uh, and handle any obstacles that comes that comes your way.
1: So I think that thinking about one of the things you said that really resonated with me is is about whether or not it's something that I maybe just don't have the time for or I don't know how to have the time for that I do really want to do then gets it feels like a should because there's already obstacles in there. And so I think that that's going to really help me take a look at the things that I have, and figuring out what are things that I can actually do with the time I have right now, and what are some things that I can do with some help. So I think you've given me some clarity on uh, taking a look at the things that are, are out there and really looking at whether or not it's a true should. I'm going to test my body when I look at it. I'm going to go as my chest tight. Is my chest tight? Is this a should? and really spent some time like sitting in it and thinking about it and going, what, what do I want to do that's going to make me happy? And not that's going to make other people happy. Because that's the thing I think that should happens a lot of times. You're like, so-and-so would really be happy if I did X, (laughs) Y, Z. You're like, no, you have to think about what yourself is. So I think that this was good talking it through to kind of help me realize that some of the stuff might still be things I want to do, but I just don't know how to fit them in.
0: So, how you hold yourself accountable to that?
1: Um, I think that for me, uh, because I know I'm going to make that list, I'm going to start making that list out, and then I'm also going to um, talk to a couple of my friends who've kind of been with me on this journey, and tell them all the things I want to do, and also get their opinion of because they're, you know, your friends are really good to go, and you're never going to have time to do X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? And then they might be able to help me because sometimes, I don't know if you do this too, but there's so many exciting things I want to do. And I'm like, and then, I, and then I'll do this and then I'll do that. And you're just not realistic at the time of fitting them in or getting them done. But it doesn't mean that you should forget about them, but just how can you make them work? But a lot of times you can get overwhelmed when you think about too many things you want to do. And so I think that, um, a couple of my close friends, one of them is my, one of my rider buddies will be able to sit there and go, yes, you can do that. Yes. You can. Ooh, you're going to need help on this one. And so I think they might be able to help me through it.
0: So what's a big ask that you want to manifest in 2022?
1: <sighs> oh, I think, um, gosh, there's so many good things happening. Um, I think the big ask I would love is to, um, be able to reach more people with my books. I just really, um, I've only scratched the surface and I'm really excited uh, for that. And plus um, my first ever short story, uh, won first place in the PNWA Literary Contest in September. And the the agent who, uh, who judged it and picked my winner, um, she's, we've already met and she's talking about possible representation if I expand it into a novel. So I'm super excited. And that would be a huge like I would absolutely love to get that done, Savio, in 2022 and have her get that to a publisher. That would be so exciting because it's literary fiction as opposed to the genre fiction I've been doing. And I just think she told me, she goes, Tracy, you're going to reach so many more people with this book. She goes, and you're going to change lives. And that would just be so exciting for me.
0: I see you grinning from year to year. Um, um, when you check into your body, what's happening now?
1: Uh, I feel like there's just like little like huge like shoots coming off of me of light <laughs> and stuff, just like little fireworks.
0: And this is part of the uh, shoulds or this is part of the I want tos?
1: This, this is definitely the I want tos. Yeah. I'm going to make it happen no matter what.
0: I'm going to make it happen no matter what. All right. Well, this was was great. I think this is, if you're good, this is a good point maybe to transition into the interview.
1: Yeah. No, that sounds great. Thanks for all your help. That makes me feel, I feel less tight.
0: (laughs) Do you feel complete?
1: Yeah, I do. I feel really like, okay, okay. I've got a plan now. I can really look at this and think about this and, and get my stuff together.
0: Excellent. So tell my audience a little more about you and what you do.
1: So I, I have two published books out, the first two books, my awesome. trilogy, and I originally had, and I'll just share this because some people might be going through this as well. I got an agent right away with my first book. We couldn't get it sold. Uh, it was a vampire story set in Seattle and Russia and too many vampires in the marketplace. Sounds like a book, right? But anyway, too many vampires. And so she's like, what else do you have? And I gave her Entwine, which is my first book. And she couldn't get it sold. And I knew there was something going on because I knew it was really good. Well, it turns out she had an ailing hubby at home and she had to take care of him. And so she ended up having to let everybody go that she didn't have contracts for and semi-retire. And I was all of a sudden out of an agent. I pitched to six other agents and editors at a conference the next few days. Everybody wanted to see it. Got a publishing contract with a small publisher and I turned it down. Now I would have never done that when I first started because I would have been like, "Oh my God, somebody's going to publish me." But when I looked at it, I knew so much more, and my my longtime writer buddy, who's my editor, uh, she looked at me and she said, "You know what, Tracy? I know this is scary to turn this down, but if you do, she says, I think you can really self-publish successfully." And mm-hmm. I went, really?" And she goes, "And I'll do your cover." And awesome. I'm like, because oh, she's an artist. So I decided to self-publish. I formed my own publishing company, LLC. Twilight Sparks Press. And I published the first book. And it was amazing because everybody knew that that I, all my friends knew that I was trying to be published and everything else. But when I put it out, all of a sudden people were like, wow, like she wasn't just talking about it. She did it. She did it. And it was such a great experience. I was so nervous about it. It was great Now, both Entwine and Raven, the second book, have over 105 star reviews on Amazon.
0: Wow. I know. It's
1: great. It's great. And I thought only women would like the books, but I've had so many men love them. And I've asked them, I'm like, why do you love them? They're like, there's friendship, there's mystery, there's suspense, there's relationships. I'm like, you know, and it shows that like you think you know who's going to read your books and you don't know. And so, so I'm just explaining that journey because- there's so many people that are trying to get agents and trying to figure out if they need to self-publish and self-publishing has gone come so far. So I would say to anybody listening, if you do want to self-publish, it's very easy right now. And if you want to get your book out there, um, you know, and you've been rejected by agents or whatnot, don't feel discouraged. You can always get an agent later and you can self-publish. So, yes, so I self-published my two books. Um, So working on the third book that comes out uh, next Halloween, I'm going to do a box set as well, which will be fun and do that. And then of course, working on that short story to expand it into a novel. And uh, yeah, so that's been really great. And I think as we mentioned a little bit and touched on, it really was uh, all the things that happened to me, all those tragedies, so to speak in one lump sum that made me look at my life differently. And that's what I try to share with my clients because I'm an intuitive storytelling coach and people go what's intuitive storytelling and i said well no it's it's more that i'm intuitive about the storytelling <laughs> because as you know when you're when you're coaching you're trying to you can a lot of times see the problem that somebody else doesn't see and you're bringing it out and for me with the uh with the coaching and the writing coaching i see what people are trying to say i see their story desperately and their their message that they're desperately trying to get out that's clouded under things that they don't either need, or they're not putting it together in the correct way, or they don't really realize the enormity of what they're saying. And I help them get through that so that they can get clarity and put something together for their book. And I've even helped people on social media posts because storytelling is used, as you know, on social media so much. And so um, so I've been able to, I always said I was going to help other people with their writing and I was able to do that in 2020, started at, after COVID and really started, um, formed a free Facebook group for writing um, and then started taking on some clients and started pre- presenting some classes and stuff. And that's been so rewarding when you, when you realize that the more people that you help, as I mentioned about spreading their light, they're going to touch other people. And they're going to inspire them and they're going to touch other people because I really feel like we need more kindness and more support these days, especially. And somebody being able to tell their story is so uplifting and empowering. Uh, and it changes who they are and how they act and how they feel about themselves. And that bleeds out into all the other people around them and helps inspire them.
0: So what's your why with writing?
1: Uh it's it's in my DNA it's exa- it's who I am it's in my bones I've always been a storyteller and I I know I got it from my dad because he would spin these amazing yarns and you'd be like oh, oh really that happened and it, you know he was just amazing and so I really picked that up but I find that I use every single piece of me when I write I feel like every part of me is alive there's nothing dormant um, I'm using all my senses. I'm using all my abilities and my creativity, and uh, it fills me with a, a joy like no other. And that's that's my why. It's it uh, it 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 lights me up and keeps me going.
0: Yeah, you know there was um it was like Sister Act two in there. Uh, I never watched it, and there's there's this part where um you know Willa Goldberg speaks to Lauren Hill, and she talks about you know you know Raina. Reena Maria Rilke and how if you wake up in the morning and it's the first thing you think about, then you should be a writer or you should be a singer or whatever the case may be. Um, Is that, is that what it is for you?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, and often too, it's so funny. I was doing something the other day and I was trying to figure out how a scene was going to work. And all of a sudden it like just plopped in and did a download. And I was like, oh, and then and then someone was going to say this and then they're going to, oh, 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 and then this is connected to this and stuff. And so uh, it's always uh, playing in, in my mind and stuff. And when I thought about, I took a step back from coaching for a little bit to focus on book three. And I really felt like that was the right thing to do because I had been not writing as much because i have been coaching more and I really missed it. It feeds my soul. And so I think that, um, uh, I think I've, I'm a born storyteller and I did a, um, uh, a past life thing with a friend of mine, who's a psychic and, um, and even in the, in a past life. And some people might believe in this. Some people might not, but in the, the past life, I was also a storyteller. And so I was like, okay, you know, yeah. I, I think, it's, I think it's, it's, it's part of who I am and stuff is, uh, it is to share that.
0: So what would be some tips you would give just a burgeoning young writer who really is scared to have their voice on paper?
1: I would think that the, the first thing I would say is to try not to compare yourself to other people. Uh, this happens a lot when you're a writer, because you're reading other people's stuff and it might not be even like books in the bookstore. It could be a writer's group that you're in or a class or whatnot. Remember that your voice is your own and it's unique and you don't have to be like anybody else. And the important thing is to put it out there. And what I mean is put it out there. It's not so you don't have to publish it, but get your book done and realize that writing is like a muscle. And you're going to consistently get better and better and better. My first book, I want to go back and and edit it now. It's not going to be the quality level that I am now. And your experiences throughout your life really flavor your writing. I could not have written any of my books 20 years ago with that same level that I have now because of what I've lived through. So I would say, the main thing is to remember that, that you're unique. You're you. Don't compare yourself. Um, you're going to get better. Don't be hard on yourself. Continue learning and surround yourself with other writers and form a writers group to help you learn and grow and have support. Because we may write alone, but we don't have to be writers alone.
0: Mm. Yeah those are some really good tips. I also wanted to sort of thank you for, you know, contributing to my interview series with authority magazine and thrive global. I survived cancer years, how I did it. What has been the response for you?
1: Oh, it's been great. It's uh, it, it, the people that I've shared it with and stuff. And I shared it with a few of the people at my new job, you know, that didn't know me that well, and they were just blown over, you know, and I had so many people that said, I didn't realize on those those five things, and a lot of them were saying, "I didn't think about the fact that if you don't look like you're suffering,
0: yeah,
1: you know, it doesn't. And it's you know, because so many of us, if we're not going through different things, we might look totally fine on the outside, and we've got this huge inner struggle going on that people don't see. And to realize that um, we're holding ourselves strong, also too, for the people around us, because I knew if I crumbled. Savio, everybody else would have been like, oh, my God, it's the end
0: of the 100%. World. I mean, I just have to interject. I mean, I was in the hospital. I was just told. So I was in the hospital for two weeks. First week, I was bedridden. And day two, my sister works really close to the hospital. so She came to visit me. And that's when I found out. I found out like maybe two hours before I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I told her. And she literally fell apart. I mean, I had to do like a role reversal where I'm like had to console her. And I, I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, I was just, and you're right. hundred percent correct on that.
1: Yeah. It's just, it, it's just amazing. And I had, um, there's a few other people that I know that are cancer survivors and they said, yeah, they read it and they said, you know, I knew you were a cancer survivor. Reading this made me feel like I wasn't alone. Wow. And so that, that's really nice. And I think I've had people that say, you know, are you okay about sharing your story? And I'm like, absolutely. Because there's going to be something that's going to resonate with somebody. Cause even if you haven't been touched by cancer, you, you everybody knows somebody by this point now, unfortunately um, that has been, that has been touched and stuff. And I think it's important to show that you can survive. And I had, um, and I can't remember if I put it in the article or not, but this is what hit me is when I went in the last time my cancer came back, which is in 2020 and the lung surgeon I was meeting with, he said, you know, most people don't survive your cancer. And he said, um, "I just want to tell you that keep doing what you're doing because we need that type of reminder—the surgeons and the doctors or whatnot—that our fight is important because there's people like you that are surviving.
0: Wow! Because so
1: we see so much death, and wow. it hit me again. I was like, because when you haven't had it come back for a while, because I had had a stretch of like 13, 14 years." You can tend to feel a little bit more like I'm, I'm through it, I'm okay. And then when it came back again, and being faced with that again, that yes, this is really serious, I could die. And knowing that I was just by surviving was also helping the doctors. It just, you know, it it shows like a lot of times we only think about of like this small little piece, and we don't realize how much we influence um, other people. And so I think by sharing, um, your stories, like you sharing yours and doing the series, which I think is amazing. There are going to be so many more people that you've reached Sabio, that you've helped by us being able to tell our stories. Uh, we need to support each other because cancer is, is something, unless you go through it, you really don't understand it.
0: Oh, hundred percent. And then there's also a story after you survive cancer right. that many people don't even understand unless you've been through it. Um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of um, the individuals that contributed like you told me it was very cathartic. I was curious. How, did that help your writing in a lot of ways? Uh,
1: you know, I think that what what I really liked is I've told my cancer story at different times. But what the thing that really was cathartic for me was a, those five things that you need to know, because it really made me think um, about what would help people specifically because a lot of times you're talking about your experience and you're sharing it but thinking about like like don't don't let the statistics stop you from hoping Mm. you know that was like a huge thing because I remember when I got that that thing that they were like hey guess what uh you have 50% chance to live you know hope you're okay with that type of a thing and I started looking online. I was like, Oh my God, this is really bad. You know, and you start getting yourself all worked up. And then I, and then I went, no, you know, and I know in these days now we can find everything. You have like a little cough and you look up, you know, you have something on your skin. You're like oh, it's cancer, you know? Yeah. So, so I think that what was really helpful for me was thinking about those five things. And that really was a shift because it brought me back into that time. And so I think that was really helpful for me to, to be back there. And currently in book three, uh, the characters I'm writing about two of them, especially have a lot of damage, emotional damage. And so I think that, um, it's helping me through those particular pieces to even hone in even more on those, those things that, um, that change you. And and it's more of how you react to them. And of course, both these characters haven't reacted well, because that makes a good book, right? Uh, But I think that that really helped you asking those questions um, to kind of really dive into it.
0: Mm. So Tracy, we, we talked a lot. Where can we find you on the internet?
1: Oh, yes. So uh, I have a website, tracyshearer.com. So you can find me there. And it's Tracy with an EY. (laughs) I've had a lot of people. I I actually did. I have to say, I actually did um, secure Tracy without the EY because I didn't want it being turned into some awful site that people would, by mistake, go to. (laughs) I see that happen. (laughs) So, but yeah, so you can find me there on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Tracy tracyshearer. And so you can find me there. I have a huge Twitter following. I love Twitter. It's so much fun. Um, and Instagram, of course you can see, um, you know, get updates and stuff on my books as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, so those are the, the main things. And then my books are on Amazon and they're also, uh, through Spark. they're everywhere. So they're at Target, they're Barnes and Noble, they're at and that's one of the things I think is so nice about self-publishing now is you really can get the reach. And so so once again, to those people that are thinking about writing, don't be scared about self-publishing. You can do it.
0: Wonderful. Well, on that note, thank you so, so much. I really, really appreciate it.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it.
0: Hi there. I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast episode of The Human Resolve. If you feel that others may enjoy this episode as well, please share socially at The Human Resolve. They can also visit my website, thehumanresolve.com, where I offer one-on-one coaching sessions, daily prompts to move in the right direction, sync directly to your smartphone, and a subscription to my weekly newsletter, where I probe into the secrets from living smarter to feeding your three brains. If you could also help me out and give me a review and rating on this platform, because I do care what you have to say, I would really appreciate it. Now, get out there, my friends, and get busy living.